This is Josie Brown with Author Provocateur. Adventurers whose gold rush fantasies have been crushed. A prim whorehouse madam whose strict rules are readily adhered to by her girls and patrons. Two hookers with hearts of steel. In Pulitzer Prize-winning author Jane Smiley's historical novel, A Dangerous Business, two ladies of the night, sweet but stoic Eliza Ripple and her feisty pants-wearing sidekick Jean, must chase down a serial killer on the loose in the hills of 1850s Monterey, California. Jane and I discuss how the story came to her, how she researched this town that is near and dear to her heart, and how she sustained a writing career by making each of her novels different, but with the same result. Compelling plots, realistic dialogue, and great characters. And in the case of A Dangerous Business, with the addition of a stomach-churning mystery that you'll want as your next great read. I want to tell you how much I enjoyed A Dangerous Business. And I have to ask you, when did you pick the title for the book? Not till the end, because I just called it Monterey Mystery for a long time. I mean, I knew that wasn't going to be the real title. But then my editor and I were reading through it, wondering what the title was going to be. And we came to that line where Mrs. Parks says, you know, this is a dangerous business. And I thought, well, that's a good title. And she agreed, or maybe she thought it and I agreed, but we both, we came up with it sort of simultaneously. And that was what we decided was a good title. I agree. And I, uh, it was so funny because I got to that line, you know, I got to that part where she says that. And I was thinking, did they seed it there or did they have the title prior? And I'm glad to see that it kind of sparked the title versus the other way around. Yeah. And also, I kept going through all the ways that book was a dangerous business. Everyone who lived in that town at that time, it was dangerous for them. It really was. Well, in some ways, it was less dangerous than some of the other towns because at least according to the research that I did, because the gold was elsewhere. And so actually life in in Monterey was pretty, pretty good compared to some other places where there was more stuff to steal from you and a smaller population and maybe no mission. Maybe that was another thing. And the, the research I did did show me that women were pretty well treated And there were problems, you know, you could always run into somebody who was going to do you in, but he would, I would say be up around San Francisco or up in gold country than here. So I thought it was an interesting place to set it. I thought it was a fabulous place because you, knowing Monterey as I do, of course, I know the new Monterey. I know the now Monterey. I I had never done research around the history of Monterey. So you kind of brought that to life to me. But I did know some of the streets that you were mentioning. And in my mind, I could envision, you know, the dunes. I could envision how the hills are there. Well, New Monterey is, especially downtown, is very much like the old Monterey. If you took out all the parking lots and all the cars, it would be quite similar, simply because they've done such a great job maintaining the old buildings and keeping them from falling down. And there's so many cities where they haven't even bothered to do that. But I think maybe the deal in Monterey is they didn't replace everything with factories or something. And so that was one of the most terrific things about 
writing the book was getting to walk around Monterey and look at the buildings and look at the information on the plaques by the buildings and get a sense of what it would be like for Jean and Eliza to be in this world. Um, the weather's similar now. So you could really walk from place to place and think, oh, that's what it must have felt like. And I love that part. I also feel like uh, Monterey has held on to a lot of its old architecture, mm-hmm. a lot of the buildings. Yeah. It's very much to me, like you say, you can still envision the town within the town. Yes. And the hills. I mean, I, now they're filled with houses, I know, but I could imagine that they weren't at one point in time, too. Yeah. Well, some are, some aren't. That's true. Yeah. You know, obviously, when Carmel was built, Carmel was in some sense the fancy part of town. And so a lot of the people decided, well, I'm going to build around Carmel. I'm not going to build around Monterey. So Monterey lucked out. Now I love Carmel. You know, you're walking past this drop dead gorgeous mansion. And then right next to it is this tiny little cottage. And then, you know, five steps later, there's a sort of regular old middle class house. And they've done a great job of keeping the trees, keeping the lawns. And so it's an entirely different town than Monterey. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But because they had, because the Carmel got developed and because Pebble Beach got developed, then Monterey got to stay pretty much the way it had been, which I think is a great thing. Oh, I do too. It's one of my favorite little towns. I like Pacific Grove Mm -hmm. because it also looks like it's kind of like it's got that main street, but then it's very like in the past to me than fast forward future. And that has a very interesting history too, because I think it was, um, I think it was a Methodist community patterned on some other similar communities on the East Coast. And so it's Pacific Grove, a place where all these religious people could have their own community. And so that too is, is extremely idiosyncratic. So everywhere you go around the peninsula, and that's one of the reasons I love here, I love being here, you, you're just exploring different cultures, different styles of architecture, different ecosystems. And you just look around and you say, well, why do I have to go anywhere else? I can take a, a five-hour vacation, you know, right outside my door, basically. Exactly. As you talk about Monterey, I hear Eliza in your voice because, <laughs> you know, I, I think about the reasons why she got out of town, <laughs> you know, out of the Midwest. And a lot of it has to do with her parents essentially pushed her into marriage. Yes. With a man who, you know, was a ne'er-do-well. You know, they didn't know that. And, of course, the mother was very religious, which I felt was, you know, like hearing about (laughs) now, hearing about Pacific Grove. Oh, her mother would have had fun there. I'm glad she didn't tell her mother about (laughs) that place. They weren't the same sect. So, no, she would have been deeply insulted. (laughs) I forgot about that. You're right. It's not homogenous at all. I think there are a lot of people in those days who came to Monterey from someplace, you know, someplace in the East and looked around and said, wow, this is like heaven. And so why, even if that jerk who was she was married to got shot, yeah. why leave? You got to do something to stay. You don't want to go back to what you were stuck with before. I also appreciated the fact that you didn't make her school marm. 
You did the <laughs> you did the antithesis and uh, put her in a brothel. I love the way she interacted with her clientele. I liked that they were all different. We saw the whole then and now through the people that walked through her bedroom door, which was quite interesting. Well, I'm glad you liked that because that was a lot of fun for me. I knew that the madam at the brothel had to care, but why shouldn't she care? Of course she would care. So I had to come up with some plausible way that this world that Eliza lives in is not horrible as we sometimes think that life is. And, you know, that was a little, I don't know anything about it, actually, you know, having never worked at a brothel. But um, I thought it would be interesting. So many people were passing through, so many men, and I know there were brothels here. So why wouldn't I explore what the guys were like and how Eliza reacted to them? I also liked the fact that um, you make them treat her so kindly. You got your one or two, um, you know, smart asses. Yeah. But in essence, you've got these guys that are like just as interested in her because she's one of the few women in the town. Mm-hmm. You know, they treat her everything from girlfriend to sister to, um, you know, to a teacher. You know, with the younger guys, she's definitely a teacher. <laughs> that was definitely one of my favorite bits when the dad brings in his kid and her job is to, you know, open him up to this world. And she wants to do it in a nice way so that he will be a good guy. And I, I also love this one of them. Maybe we shouldn't, maybe this is a giveaway. But there's one of them who wants to be a doctor and he wants to see what women's bodies look like. I loved that character. I'm glad you did bring him up because he was one of my favorite characters. Oh, good. (laughs) You know, we live in the here and now. So when we think about back then, we don't necessarily think about, oh, yeah, a guy like that would want to know it. And he'd be studying it from a different perspective Mm -hmm. than somebody who just came in drunk one night and decided, hey, I want to have a little fun. (laughs) So you kind of opened her universe up to the rest of us, which is, again, that's the then and now. And even, you know, like if you were to set a book, as you have in the past, in like the 1950s, and pick up Monterey from there, it would be interesting to see what a a Monterey brothel would be like in the 1950s versus then. Yeah, I don't know. I have thought about what is Eliza going to do next, but um, I don't really have a plan for her. You kind of opened up her world a bit at the end, and I won't get into that now, but I do want to mention the fact that where you also expanded my mind was the lesbian brothel and Jean, her bestie, you know, her best friend. Now, we don't know that one of those existed, but um, when I had the local historian go through the book and he was very painstaking, all he had to say to me was, well, that's plausible. Go ahead. Good. Plausible. Right. Yeah. And why not? Why wouldn't it be plausible? You know, it's um, just because people don't acknowledge same-sex relationships doesn't mean they don't exist. Right. And you um, you had this character who, we kind of all fall in love with Jean because she's sort of like everybody's best friend. <laughs> she loves to play head games on people. She loves to be in character. She's a great, you know, equestrian. I mean, she's a, she's a good writer. 
I like her. I, I love the fact that their way of relaxing was to go for a good ride, you know, rent a couple of horses, go for a good ride. And I kept thinking, you know, horses back then were like cars are now, you know, you, not everybody could afford one. So you'd rent it. It was their zip car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and of course, with the horses, we get into the mystery on several levels because mm-hmm. you've got them going out and, you know, there is a mystery and the mystery is that they discover a body. Yes, they're very, they don't, yeah, you said it, I don't have to say anymore. Ooh, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing that I love about how you've set up the book is you've got this constabulary that isn't as interested (laughs) in doing its job as it should be. That was realistic. And the population came and went because there were other places that people thought would be more profitable. And you might come here and think you're going to do one thing and discover, say, let's say you came here and thought you were going to buy a farm and you discovered that, yeah, you could buy a hillside, but it was on the edge of a very deep ravine. Well, what am I going to do with that? And so people came and they went. And so any kind of administration of what's going on here would be much more difficult than it is now. I think partly given the landscape, partly given the people coming and going, and partly given the fact that um, the police or the constabulary or whatever you want to call them, they weren't as well organized in those days. And in the West, a lot of towns relied on vigilantes. But as, as Eliza points out, what do they care about us? You know, They care about who owns the property. They care about the other guys that they know. They don't necessarily care about us. Right. Jean and, and Eliza have to kind of try and figure it out on their own. They are sort of amateur sleuths. Absolutely. So amateur. At the same time, they're not afraid to sticking their neck out. And it's not necessarily because they didn't think they were worth it. I think what they felt like these other women who had been murdered were worth somebody taking the time and yeah. effort to find out what happened to them and how it happened. Yeah. We don't find out why Jean is as brave as she is. But when she comes along, Eliza feels safer in her company than she would on her own. I don't think Eliza would have done it without Jean. But I'm glad you had the Jean character specifically for that reason. Yeah. And Jean is fond of Eliza, too. So there's some things that Eliza offers to the investigation. And there's other things that Jean offers. And as they get to know each other, um, they know what they can rely on each other to do. Right, exactly. Because you've set the story in the 1850s, your scenes and dialogue address the issue of slavery and abolition. And obviously, this is pre-Civil War, pre-American Civil War. But it brought home to me how much all of this was on the whole country's minds, not just people in the South or people in the North. I mean, I grew up in the South, so to me, there's a lot of people still living the Civil War down there. But I never knew how far West people felt and and the people that were coming West, how there might have been factions from both sides coming West. Well, when I did the research, I realized that a lot of people were coming West to get away from you know, what was going on in the East. And, and I think that was maybe what 
instigated. Um, now, that wasn't true of Eliza's husband. He thought he was going to make it in terms of the gold fields. But there is a link between Jean and what's going on in the East. As far as Eliza knows at the beginning, all she knows is that there's a guy in their town who's an escaped slave that her mother prefers to a bog trotter or an Irishman, partly for religious reasons. But Eliza isn't very up to date on what's going on. But the more people she meets, the more they have things to tell her about what's going on. And one of my favorite moments is when she and one of her clients who get along quite well are sitting in a restaurant and he points out to her that the Mason-Dixon line could be running right across their table. And he tells her various things and she's interested in them. And then the more, you know, the more she learns, she learns stuff a lot more from Jean and from some of the other guys that she meets. And so she gains an opinion that she didn't have. I mean, when she left Michigan, she is only 19. So now she has an opinion and that develops. I mean, I wrote about that before in The All True Travels and Adventures of Liddy Newton, but I didn't think I could write about 1850s Monterey without writing about that issue because people knew it, you know. Right. The world was a smaller place. It was vaster, but it was smaller still because yeah. of whatever news they were getting was from people coming that from that direction. Yes. I did like her relationship. I think his name was Lucas, the guy you're talking about. She would have breakfast with him, you know, and he was one of her regulars. You created some people that if they were living today, it would be more like friends with benefits. I mean, I mean yeah. think about it. Think about it. Yeah. It, you know, they'd hook up for the evening and then they'd, oh, let's go out and have some breakfast or, hey, I'll be back in town next week. Uh, you know, and she's thinking, good, because I like you, you know. And yeah. I also love the way that you make sure that the reader knows that their lives as whores are finite. It's not infinite. In essence, life goes on beyond that. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you like that. Eliza and Jean are both young. Jean's slightly older than Eliza, but their job in their early 20s is to grow up. And they just happen to grow up in a different way than we did. Um, but they still have this job to grow up. And they still have hobbies and they still have likes and dislikes and they still have thoughts that develop about the people and places around them. And yeah, they're not one dimensional, they're multidimensional and they're evolving just like the rest of us are in our generation and in whatever time period that we are in, sure. we're all evolving. I also like the way that you kept the mystery not easy. In essence, we couldn't guess who the killer might be. Well, that's the most important thing in the mystery. You cannot, the reader cannot guess who it is, or he or she will toss the mystery because, you know, why bother keeping reading? So it has to stay mysterious all the way to the end. And I probably have to say that in the first draft, I didn't know who it was myself for a long time. And then, ah, I had an aha moment. So 
I think the aha moments are the best because, because yes, they take the novelist by surprise as well as the reader. Because, you know, I always hate it when somebody writes, oh, I knew it going in. And I'm like, I didn't even know it. You know, like you really didn't know it because I didn't know it. I didn't know this was going to be that person, whatever. So to me, that's always, always hysterically funny when somebody says something like that to me. Because I sometimes, sometimes our readers are smarter than we are, but <laughs> yeah, or I need to hide something a little bit more often, which, um, you know, I'm thinking I'm doing a great job hiding who it is. And, and then sometimes somebody will say that, but I'm glad when I get the ones that say I didn't know until the very end. So yeah, it weighs itself out, I guess is the best yeah. way of putting it. Um, you tackle history in your books. You tackle different times and places. You tackle family dramas. Tell me your approach regarding a family drama versus a mystery. And, you know, for example, I assume that you do, and I won't, you know, you tell me, do you plot your books? Well, that's really varied from book to book. Okay. That's a good answer. (laughs) Yeah. Some have had to be carefully plotted and others just sort of developed on their own. Um, I would say... Now, this one had to be carefully plotted, you know, but if, if I, when I remember Moo, basically all I did in Moo um, was I made a, a grid and I put the names of the characters across the top and the chapter numbers down the side. And I just checked off who, who showed up in each chapter. And then if somebody had sort of gone missing, everybody had a party and they would show up again and that might lead them into being a part of things. And that was a fun way to keep it organized. I wanted Moo to be an exploration of a certain type of university, a comic exploration. Um, But, you know, obviously a thousand acres really had to follow the plot of King Lear very closely. So that had to be planned. Um, Perestroika in Paris, the last book that came out, Once I put the young boy and the old lady, the old, old lady in, I knew what the ending was going to be. I just had to figure out how to get the animals to the ending and how to save the boy from the downside of the ending. Right. But I knew what the ending, I, you know. Right. You have, you have a concept, you know, where you're going. It's sort of like a, you know, you're going to end up in this town. Yeah. (laughs) In that case, Paris. But hey, in this case, Monterey. (laughs) Are you working on something fun now? Can you give me a hint of what it is? No? Nope. You'll have to wait and find out. Okay. Well, tell me this. Is it a family drama, a comedy, or a mystery? Or all three? I would say it's more like a family drama. Ooh. Okay. (laughs) You know, no one does family dramas like you do. Hmm. So you. that is going to be, I th- I hope that's a compliment. Oh, 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 totally, totally. I mean, I frankly think that this book was an amuse-bouse. You know, it, I love your voice anyway, your writer's voice. So I, it was like, oh, I got my Jane fix, but I get it in a different way. <laughs> I think that's what readers look for. They look for your voice and they know the plot's going to be there. They know your narrative's going to be clean. They know that the characters they're going to love. So why not get Jane in different Jane ways, right? <laughs> well, thanks. That's a sweet, that's a very sweet compliment. 
Jane Smiley's latest novel, A Dangerous Business, is in bookstores now. This is Josie Brown with Author Provocateur.